0: What's your aim in life? Some might say that their aim is to achieve something that will impress others or to look a certain way or to acquire some things. Some people would say their aim in life is just to work through the the grind and try to make it to the weekend. What's your aim in life? What's your focus? What's your purpose? What's your meaning? What's your priority? Well, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that his aim was to please Christ. To please Christ. I think that is a worthy aim for all of our lives. That we would make it our priority, our focus, yea, even our passion, to delight the heart of God. And this morning in our text, we're going to gain some insight into what that means for our lives in a practical way. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We are continuing our study line by line, verse by verse... ...this wonderful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians... ...in the first century city of Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 25. When you found your place, I want to ask you... ...if you are physically able to please stand with me... ...in honor of the reading of God's Word... Which I'll remind you is truth with no mixture of error. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, Paul writes Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now look in verse 30. And do not grieve do not grieve the holy spirit of god by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption let's pray together this morning father in heaven you are great and glorious and we are so grateful for this opportunity to gather as a faith family to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We pray, Lord, that as we study your word, you would move in our midst by the power of your spirit, that we would understand your word, that we would respond to your word, that we would leave today different than when we walked in. Father, work in our midst by your grace and always and only. For your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Notice that this section of Scripture begins with the word, therefore. And I've taught you when you see that word to ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? And when he uses the word, therefore, he's referring back to what he has just previously said. And if you remember last week, we talked about the battle going on on the inside of the Christian between the old self and the new self. The old self is our sin nature. When we were saved, the old self was crucified with Christ, meaning it no longer has power over us unless we allow it to. And because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we've been made brand new creations in Christ. We've been born again. So we have to make a a daily decision. Are we going to live according to the old self, the sin nature, the flesh, or the new self, in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's this constant battle going on between the two. And Paul said last week that we're to put off the old self and put on the new self as our minds are being renewed. And then he says, therefore. Now why does he say therefore? Because in this text, Paul is going from generalities to specifics. He wants to deal with some specific areas in our lives in which we need to lay aside the old way of doing things and put on the new self. Now, it's my observation as a pastor that folks are okay when you talk about sin in general. When you talk about sin in general, people are like, Amen, preacher! Preacher! We shouldn't be sinners. Amen. But when a pastor starts to get specific, the amen turns into, oh my. Because the Lord begins to deal with specific areas in our lives. And what Paul's doing here is he's getting specific. Specific ways we need to lay aside the old self and put on the new self. And so he addresses in our text this morning... Four specific areas. I want to show you how, at the end of this sermon, how addressing these specific areas allows us to delight the heart of God. So let's look at those specific areas. We're going to go very quickly. Each of these four could be a sermon in and of itself, but we're going to work our way through the passage quickly this morning. Number one, number one specific area, put off deceit and put on truth. Put off deceit, that's the old self, put on truth, that's the new self. Look what he says there in verse 24. Therefore, having put away falsehood, that's who you used to be, living by deceit. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Part of putting aside the old self and putting on the new self is learning to live truthfully with each other. You see, our sin nature, our our flesh, lures us to deceive. Left to itself, we will drift towards deception and deceit and false witness. Our sin nature lures us to deceive. Why? Because our sin nature is always looking out for itself. Self-preservation, self-advancement, self-reputation. And because we're trying to to look out for self, our sin nature will lead us to deceive, to put ourselves in a position we think we need to be in. Now this can take many forms. It can take the form of lying, of just direct falsehood, telling someone something that is not true. It could look like exaggeration. It could look like cheating in school or cheating on your income taxes. It could look like duplicity, being two-faced, acting one way to a person uh, when you're talking to them but acting another way behind their back. It could look like trying to portray a contrived image for others' consumption, trying to cultivate what you look like for others, uh, i.e. social media. And there are all sorts of ways that we will drift towards deceit if we live according to the old sin nature. But here's the deal. Jesus made us new. And Jesus expects us to be people of truth. Look what he says there in verse 25. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak thee, there it is, The the truth with his neighbor. And look what he says. For we are members one of another. To be honest with others is to treat others the way that you want to be treated. We're members of one another. He's speaking here in the context of the body of Christ. We're on the same team. We're in the same body. We are the bride of Christ. So certainly within the church... Christians who are laying aside the old self and putting on the new self will be truthful with each other, right? Deceit, deception, duplicity has no place in the body of Christ. So the first specific area is this. Put off deceit. Put on truth. Be a truth teller in the power of Of the Holy Spirit. Specific area number two. Put off anger and put on peace. Put off anger. That's the old self. And put on peace. Look what it says in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Now it's interesting to note there. That that Paul writes. Be angry. Yet do not sin. That implies. That implies. That there is a, a, a thing uh, called righteous anger. There is such a thing. You can be anger in a righteous, angry in a righteous way. And we know that because the Bible tells us that Jesus was angry at certain times during his earthly ministry. And the Bible tells us Jesus was without sin. So Jesus was righteously angry. For example, when he turned over the, the tables of the money lenders in the temple... He was righteously angry. He had just cause to be angry, and yet his anger was not sin. So there is a such thing as righteous anger, which leads to this question. How do we know when our anger, listen, has crossed the line into the territory of sinful emotion? How do we know when it's become a sin? Well, there's a clue in the text here. If you'll notice in verse 25, verse 26, the word anger is used twice. He says, Be angry and do not sin, but then he says, Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, those two words are related, but they're two different words in the Greek language. When he says, be angry and do not sin, that's the Greek word orgizo. And it's the word for anger in general. It's used of sinful anger. It's also used of righteous indignation. So it's just kind of a general word for anger. But when he says there at the end of the verse, don't let the sun go down on your anger, that's a different Greek word. That's the word perorgizmos, which signifies, listen, Severe or violent anger. It speaks of seething exasperation. It speaks of anger that is welling up in you and begins to affect your thinking, your speech, and your actions. Such behavior, paragismos, this kind of anger, this seething resentment is contrary to the Spirit... Contrary to the word of God and contrary to who you are in Christ. So the idea is is this. We are not to let anger take root in our hearts. We're not to let anger become seething resentment. So how do we know when anger becomes a sin? It's in your notes. You ready? Anger becomes a sin when it begins to control you. When it begins to control you emotionally, it begins to affect your relationships, your thinking, what you say, what you do, when it begins to control you, that's when anger becomes a sin. When anger starts causing you to act in ungodly ways or think ungodly thoughts, that's a sin. In fact, Jesus said, when you are angry in your heart towards another person, that's like murder in your heart. Paul says, put off the old. Don't let anger control you. Put on the new. What's the new? It's peace. It's resolving your conflict so anger does not rule the day. Look what he says back in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down to your anger. In other words, deal with it. Deal with the issue. Verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. That word opportunity is literally the word place. When you refuse to deal with your anger, you are giving the devil a foothold in your life. Now let's just imagine that there was a knock at your door this afternoon. You open the door, it's the devil. He's standing there and he says, "Can I come in? Christian wisdom would say, no, devil, you can't come in my house, right? I don't want you in my house. But listen to me. When you don't deal with your anger and your conflict and your relationships, it's like opening up the door and say, hey, devil, come on in. Find a foothold in my home. Find a, a foothold in my marriage. Find a foothold in my workplace. Come in, devil. Have your way. Wreak your havoc. That's what happens when we don't deal with anger in our lives. But there's a third specific area here. Not only truth-telling and reconciliation when there's conflict, but number three, he says, Put off stealing and put on honest work. Look in verse 28. Verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing Honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. He's saying there that stealing to get ahead, taking something that doesn't belong to you to get ahead is is wrong. That's the old self. How should a Christian live their life? Honest work. Honest work. Put off stealing, put on honest work. Now we see three things here about the purpose of work. Let me give you these very quickly. Number one, to provide for your family. Look what it says there in verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Let him labor, let him do work. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Bible says, If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. And it says, if a person does not provide for his family, he's worse than an infidel in 2 Thessalonians. And so the Bible says that we should work, labor to provide for our family. Secondly, to positively contribute to society. Look back in verse 28. Doing honest work. That word honest is literally the word good. Doing good work, good things. You want to to work in a way that positively contributes to society. You want to work in a way that is good. Now, let me just say this, and this is as your pastor, because I love you, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. If If you're employed at a place that is not positively contributing to society, in other words, it's doing damage to people's lives, then you need to ask God to give you another job. A place where you can positively contribute. That that what's produced from your labor is good, not harm. And then third, the purpose of work is to help others in need. Look what it says in verse 28. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. When you work, you get resources. When you get resources, you can help those that don't have resources. I think there there are... uh, Physical applications of this, that you help people that have physical needs, help them get on their feet with your resources you share with those that have needs. But I also think it speaks of spiritual needs, that that you contribute to the kingdom of God to get the gospel to those that need to hear. But Paul says, don't don't steal to get ahead. Don't, don't, Don't manipulate to get ahead. Do honest work. That's what Christians should be about But there's a fourth thing here. A fourth area that we need to to give attention to when we put off the old and put on the new. Here it is. This is a big one. Put off destructive speech and put on encouraging speech. Put off destructive speech and put on encouraging speech. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths wow anything that tears down should not come out of your mouths but only such as is good for edification for for building up as fits the occasion the right word at the right time in the right circumstance that it may give grace to those who hear Can I tell you this? We all need to grow in our comprehension of the power and potential of the tongue. I I don't think we understand just how powerful our tongue is. a small part of the body. But it wields so much potential for, for good and for damage. Over in James 3, James compares the tongue to a a raging forest fire or a poison. It it can be destructive if you don't have control of it. It's small, but it can direct your life. Just like a small bridle directs a horse or a small rudder directs a ship. The tongue has great power for ill and for good. But here's the, the encouraging thing. The tongue has great potential. God can use your speech to bless others. And so here's the deal. We need to learn to measure our words with a simple question. We need to learn to measure our words with a simple question. And here's the question. What I'm about to say. Will it... Build up or will it tear down? Before you say anything, will my words tear others down or will it build them up? Your grandmother was right. If you can't say something nice, don't say it at all. Amen? what he's saying there. Don't say things that tear down. Say things that build people up. That give grace to those who hear. This is such a big deal. Because simply by speaking spirit-filled words, Christ-honoring words, listen to me, you can change the trajectory of someone's life. You can encourage them in the right direction your words can be can be wings that lift them up and strengthen their faith don't you want to talk like that don't you want your words to be used like that if we look around at society media entertainment news Social media, words are being used to tear people down. And it ought not to be that way for Christians. Amen? He's getting specific here, right? Put off the old self. Put on the new self. And this includes the specific area of your speech. So think about it for a moment. Think about truth-telling and peacemaking and hard work and encouraging speech, the new self. Think about the potential that these areas could have in your life, listen, and in your relationships. Think about the difference this could make in your marriage. We're gonna talk about marriage soon in Ephesians chapter 5. But but think about the difference this can make in your marriage. Just just speaking encouraging words in your marriage can change everything. Or maybe you're in a, a workplace and it's a toxic environment. And, and you dread going. Think about the potential of just going and working hard and being honest and speaking good words. Think about the difference that could make on your extended family, your community, your church. Think about the the difference this could make in our relationships. The impact this can have in our relationships is breathtaking to consider. But more important than that, more important than how this will impact your relationships is... These things will allow you, listen, to live in such a way, listen, that God is pleased. What's your aim in life? If it's to please God, this is what it looks like. Put aside the old self, be renewed in your mind, put on the new self, be honest, work hard. Reconcile when anger rises up. Speak good words. And if you will learn to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you will please God. How do we know that? Look in verse 30. Uh, verse 30. Do not grieve. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now the implication here is clear. If you are living according to the old self, if you're dishonest and you manipulate to get ahead and anger is ruling your heart and life and your words are bitter and tear people down, the Bible says here you are grieving the Spirit of God. So the implication is this. If you're not doing those things and doing the opposite in the power of the Holy Spirit, putting on the new self, then you are what? Pleasing God. Now look in verse 30. I want to show you this very quickly and we'll be through. Notice what he says here. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. That speaks of our salvation. When we... Place our faith in Christ, the Bible says, first, or uh, for Ephesians 1 13 and 14, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. He comes to live on the inside of us at the moment of conversion. So we are eternally secure in Christ. We're sealed by the Spirit, right? By whom you were sealed. Now, watch this for the day of redemption. That's the final, ultimate redemption when Christ comes back to get his church. When we're converted, we're redeemed. We're set free from the the penalty of our sin and the power of sin. But when Christ comes back, we'll be set free from the very presence of sin. That's glorification. That's in the future. That's when Christ returns for his church. So watch this. Right now, you are living between being sealed with the Spirit and the final day of redemption. Now here's the question. How are we to live in the in-between? In between. How are we to live in the in-between, between sealing and Christ's return? answer is, we're to live in a way that pleases God. We're to put aside the old self and put on the new self. If you live according to the dictates of your flesh, you will grieve the Spirit of God. But if your mind is being renewed by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God and you put on the new self, listen, you will experience the smile of God. You'll delight His heart. You'll please God Himself. And isn't that the goal? Between your conversion and before Christ comes back in the in-between, isn't that our goal? That we please God with our lives? So here's the takeaway from this passage. Do not grieve God's heart. Delight God's heart. Make it your aim to please Him. And know that you only please Him when you put on the new self. That's the gist of this, of this passage. But I want to I wanna just give you a, just a quick word of warning here. Because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I don't want you to think that living in a way that pleases God earns his favor or earns his love. That would be works-based salvation. Ephesians 2 says it very clearly. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Amen? We're saved by receiving the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. It's a gift that we receive. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. We don't achieve it. We receive it. It's a free gift. So when I say live in a way to please God, I'm not saying live to earn His favor or gain His favor. I'm saying live to please God because you have His favor. Because He's your Father. He's your friend. We sang it earlier. Live in that way to delight his heart. Let me give you an illustration. And and I promise we'll close after this. Third time I've said it. So I've coached my kids in sports and and, uh, if I'm not coaching them, I'm there watching them and this uh, past spring I was watching my youngest son at a, at a soccer game and I was sitting on one end of the field and the action was taking place on the, on the other end of the field. And my son Connor got the ball and got a little break away and he shot and he scored and it was a goal and it was glorious. And, and I watched Connor after he scored and he didn't look at his teammates to see what they thought. And he didn't look at his coach to see what the coach thought. Even though I was on the other end of the field, Connor looked directly at me. And I said, yeah, yeah. Why? He wasn't looking to please me with his goal to, so I would become his father. I was already his father. Amen. He wasn't trying to score a goal and get me excited so I would love him. I already love him. I'm his dad. Listen, because I'm his father, because I love him, because he has my favor and provision and protection, he wants to please me. He wanted to see what dad thought when he scored that goal. That's an illustration of what our Christian life should be about. Because of Jesus, God is our Father. He loves us with a perfect, unconditional, never-failing, everlasting love. Oh, dear friends, listen. We have the favor of God in Christ. Amen? Now, because He's our Father, because we had this relationship, now we want to please Him the way we live our life. Let's put aside the old self. Be renewed in the spirit of our mind and put on the new self. So that instead of grieving the heart of God. By way of contrast we are delighting the heart of God.